A podcast where we go one-on-one with fiction creators, such as authors, filmmakers, actors, songwriters, and more. Each episode, we get the inside scoop on our guests' creative process, the ups and downs of their industries, and our guests also give out tips and tricks that help them become successful. And now, let's jump into the episode with your host, Chris C.L. Lowry. All right, all right, all right. Welcome back to the Fiction Addiction Podcast. My next guest is a wife, a mother, and a former college professor turned stay-at-home mom and entrepreneur. She loved reading and writing from an early age. In 2016, she published her first book under the pseudonym Serpendipity. While on her journey as a best-selling author, many aspiring authors sought guidance from her which resulted in the creation of Divine Legacy Publishing, which is an umbrella company for self-publishers. Ladies and gentlemen, Amanda Chambers, a.k.a. Serendipity. What is going on? Not much. What's going on with you? <laughs> nothing much, nothing much. So what, what made you fall in love with reading and writing so early on in your life? That is a loaded question. So... <laughs> I grew up in, um, I grew up with a wonderful, wonderful, amazing mother. Um, however, my other parent wasn't the best. And that made for some tumultuous times when I was first coming up. And one of the ways that I kind of escaped my situation was to read. Mm. Um, my mom taught me how to read before I even got to kindergarten. So reading has always been a part of my life. But when I was younger, I would escape into my stories. I liked Encyclopedia Brown and all those old school um, Babysitter's Club, all of that. I was reading that at a very young age. Um, and so that is what um, that is what I fell in love with early on. So what what was it in, during that time in that situation? What was it about the books that helped you escape? You know what I mean? Because obviously um, I got caught up in them. Like yeah. the mystery, especially with Encyclopedia Brown, and you could like, you had to figure out the mystery and kind of create, you know, you made this decision or you had to figure out this one. And then those um, choose your own adventure stories where you had an option of doing it this way or doing it that way. And if you did it this way, then you'd get this result. Those, I got so caught up in the story that nothing else mattered. I would disappear into a book for hours. Mm. So then growing up, how much did you stay in the books? I stayed in them. Um, the only, at times, the only class that I ever paid attention to was English. Really? Book nerd. Um, I remember some kids were stealing money out of their parents' wallet to go and get gum and lip gloss and stuff. The one time that I stole money out of my mom's wallet, I stole a 20 to go to the book fair at school. Okay. <laughs> That's crazy. So then you ended up becoming a college professor. So what got you into that? Um, I was, it was a combination of my love for books and literature. And I always was kind of like a natural born teacher. I was always teaching my mm. friends stuff. My mom, um, I did go to public school, but um, my mom taught me before I got to public school. So education was always really big. And um to be honest, numbers and science are not my ministry. So we knew I wasn't going to go that way. Technology, 
till still to this day, even as a Gen Xer, uh, technology escapes me at times. So it's what I'm good at. So that's just what I went into. <laughs> <laughs> so once you are you're on this journey, you, you're in your career path now. Um, then you become a stay at home mom. What was that transition like from being in a workplace to now being a stay at home mother? It was it was a transition for sure. So um, <laughs> when I got pregnant with my daughter, I knew that um, I, I was already kind of leaning towards homeschooling. But I knew for sure that even if she went to public school, I was going to stay home with her until she went to kindergarten. Mm. Um, so I transitioned from teaching face-to-face classes to teaching online. And it was one of the best decisions I ever made, but it was a serious transition from someone who had been in public school since she was five. So there was always that rigid schedule. And then I was in college and you make your own schedule, but you still have to adhere to that schedule to a certain extent. Um, and then I was a, a college professor. So then again, schedule. And I looked up and I had no schedule and it was like, whoa, hold up, wait. <laughs> and it was a oh, real transition. Right. Mm. So where did entrepreneurship come from once you were in that in that space? It came out of nowhere. So um, when I was teaching online, I was teaching for a um, uh, an online campus out of a um, brick and mortar campus. And it was based out of there. Well, in 2015, they decided to, to um, close all of those campuses, all the North American campuses, including the one that housed my online campus. And mm. so effectively, I lost my job. And I was kind of going crazy. And I was like, what am I going to do? And my husband was like, well, the good news is my job pays the bills. So you got a minute, we're not going to be, you know, living out the back of the car when it's getting towed away. So you got a minute, you can figure right, out what right. you do. And I told him, I, I said, I think I want to finish the book that I started writing um, in grad school. So when you're getting a, a graduate degree in English, your thesis is a book. Oh, and really? I started writing a fiction book in, um, in grad school. And I put it away so that I could get my thesis done because I was paying for that thesis and I wasn't paying to write a fiction. Right, book. right, right. <laughs> and so, um, and so I put it away and then, you know, you graduate, you get your first job. My first job was an hour and 15 minutes from my house. Mm. And so you, you know, you get your first job, you get all of this and you lose sight of the book that you're writing. Um, and you become a mother and so on and so forth. And so when I lost my job, I was like, I think I want to finish that book. And he was like, all right, well, you know, this was the end. This was December of 2015. And he was like, all right, you got until next year, end of next year. And I was like, oh, all right, we got a time frame on this. No problem. So that is how I, I did my book. <laughs> when I finished my book, it did well. And so when it did well, people started asking me, you know, who published your book? And I had self-published, but I had created a um, umbrella kind of uh, fake if you will, publishing company that published me. So it wasn't, it wasn't faking that it didn't exist. It was faking that it wasn't a traditional publishing company. Right. And, um, and so I, um, I said, well, it was me. And everybody was like, oh, well, will you publish me? 
And I felt like it was kind of hypocritical for me to use a company that I created to self-publish myself to traditionally publish other people when that was what I was trying to avoid. Mm. So I was like, well, no, I won't, you know, publish you. But if you ever want to know about self-publishing, just let me know. And it took one of my clients. I did freelance editing. I've been an editor for 18 years and I did some freelance editing for her. And I contacted her and asked her if her book had come out because I always like to buy the books that I've edited. And um, and she said, oh, well, you know, I found a publishing company. Finally, I just have to get the money together. And I was like, wait. Repeat that. Right. <laughs> you have what? Right. Run that back. And um, I said, I don't understand. Can you explain to me what's going on? And she said, uh, you know, I have to get this money together. And um, I just I, I, I felt in my spirit that something was wrong with what she was telling me. So mm. I asked her. Um, to give me the uh, the logistics of it. And I knew immediately it was a scam. And I stopped right. her and I said, let, let me help you. Let me help you self-publish yourself. You already have an audience. You already have a reach. Let me help you. And she did. And she told me that uh, she wished that I did this. And I was like, you wish that I did what? And she said, I wish you did this like for a living. You know how to do this. You can teach so many people how to do this. And that's, how it, it was born, basically. It was completely by accident. Mm. Now, go, going back to that, to that, to, to companies like that, how, why do you think they get away with that so much of charging authors to basically publish their work? They prey on people who don't know. And it makes me so mad because there's room for everyone. There's room for the people who can teach you how to self-publish. There's room for the traditional publishers. I don't dislike traditional publishers. It's just not my cup of tea and it's not the way that I want my books to come out. But when you see an opportunity and you want to prey on someone because you're trying to capitalize on your money and not worry about somebody else making theirs as well, that's where. And you know you can prey on people because they don't know. You can be the best writer in the world. You can be an amazing, prolific storyteller. But you don't know the ins and outs of publishing. And so when somebody says, I got you, you can get your entire book published for $4,000, they know there's mm. some kind of sacrifice, monetary sacrifice they have to give. So they assume that, you know, this person knows what they're talking about. And this is the amount of money I have to put up in order for this to happen. And that's just not the case. But people know that people are, they aren't aware of it because that's not their their cup of tea, their cup of tea is writing. You don't have to know about publishing to be a writer. You just have to write. Right. And that's <laughs> where it happens. And so even, even in 2020, you still think that like, why do so many authors, I think there's enough knowledge out there and enough people to network with. To, oh, there definitely to is. If you know to network. I, if you right. know where to go and you get with people who are willing to teach you and to answer your questions and not people who are trying to answer your questions to figure out how they can take you. Mm. And why, why do you think, because I honestly, uh, there aren't that many, well, there are people out there, but there, there aren't that many people that you would know that have the right advice. Um, that's the first thing is finding somebody that has the right advice that knows exactly what they're doing and how they can help you. But also like 
there's scammers in that area as well. So what what would be your advice for an aspiring author um, to navigate through their journey as in terms of independently publishing their work? If you're going to do it completely independently and not seek a consultant or a coach, read, read the books. There are millions of thousands, well, probably not millions, but there's quite a few <laughs> books out there on self-publishing, creating an author brand, navigating social media for authors. There are books upon books. Read, educate yourself. If you're going to go with a consultant or a coach, check their credentials. Don't just mm. blindly you know, believe what they say, go to their website, you know, uh, somebody who is, who has a publishing company and they're proud of their authors, the authors will be prominently displayed on the website. Click an author, find them, call them, email them, contact them, ask what their experience has been. You know, somebody who says I'm a best-selling author, that's something you can very easily find out if they're telling the truth. Go to their mm -hmm. books on Amazon. Do they have reviews? Do they have books? Do they have these things? You know, do your research and make sure that you're not signing with someone or contracting someone for their services who has no idea what they're doing. You know, read their book. It may not be your particular genre. It might not be what you like to read, but read their book. Is it good? Is it well edited? Is it a product that you would like to see your book mirror in the way of presentation and stuff like that? And just educate yourself either way, whether you're reading or whether you're educating yourself on the person that you're choosing to assist you, educate yourself. Mm. Now let's go back a little bit to, to your writing journey. Um, what made you start writing under a pen name? <laughs> I write, um, well, one of the genres that I write in is uh, labeled erotic romance. And I'm also a college professor. So mm. I chose to write under a pseudonym because I didn't want my students to easily find my books. I don't mind people knowing that it's me. You know, all my friends, family, people who follow me, they know it's me. But I wanted to separate those two entities because I don't need my 18 year old college freshman, you know, English student Googling me and finding out, oh, look, she writes these books and then coming in, into my virtual classroom. Ha ha. I know what you write. No, right, sir. Right. Chill out. <laughs> <laughs> so um, what made you choose the pseudonym serendipity? It is my favorite word. I'm a word nerd. And one day when I was young, I was pretty young. I, um, I came across the word and I asked my mom what it meant. And we looked it up in the dictionary. And ever since then, it's, it's been my favorite word. So when I had to come up with a pen name, I chose that. Just It was the first thing that came to my mind. And I went with it. Mm. Were, were there others like, were there other names you thought about going with? When you were on this the journey, the only of other one that I own. considered was a the nickname for my name, so Amanda, and I, my nickname is Mandy, M A N D E E, and mm -hmm. I thought for a second of going with that, but it was so close to my name that I was like, well, if you're gonna go with a pen name, right? Why don't you go for something that's not your name at all? <laughs> <laughs> 
So what what genres do you write in? So Besides I the um erotic romance. Well, there's yeah, these <laughs> there's the erotic romance. Um, I also published that pesky thesis that I wrote back in grad school, and so that is nonfiction literary criticism. Um, mm. and then I also uh just put out a children's book based on my daughter. Um, and it's going to go into it. It's going to become a series. But I put out the first book. It's called What Jobs Can Girls Do? And it literally is based on a conversation that my daughter and I had one day. Mm, and what was that conversation? So she was, um, I homeschool my daughter. And she was sitting on the floor playing toys. And she was watching um, one of these shows on Netflix that I let her watch. It's an educational show. And the lady on the show said, um, mentioned it her occupation. My daughter, who is um, six, she was five at the time. She looked back at me and she said, well, what's an occupation? And so I went through the whole, you know, it's just like a job. It's just a, a fancier word for job. And I explained to her and she looked at me and she said, well, what jobs can girls do? And I was like, oh, honey, <laughs> <laughs> girls can do all kinds of jobs. Right, you're surrounded. <laughs> yeah. You, you're surrounded by girls who do all kinds of amazing jobs. And she was like, really? Who? And I started rattling it off. And I was like, you know, your Mimi, that's my mother, is a social worker. Grandma Wanda is a millinery. That's my husband's uh, mother. Um, you know, Auntie Tarika works for ESPN. This one works here. This one does that. And I said to myself, if my daughter is surrounded by all of these amazing women who have all these, a myriad of different occupations, and she asked me that question. There has to be other little girls who have those questions as well. Right. So I wrote a book. Mm. And the book features all of my friends and family who, who were the people I was telling her about. Oh, really? Mm-hmm. Oh, that's, that's cool. <laughs> so, all right, let's, I'm going to break, let me break this down a little bit. Let's start with your children's book. Obviously, this is a book inspired by your daughter. Um, it, it obviously means a lot to you, but it also it can inspire so many other girls, especially when I'm looking at the cover now, so many, the women on the cover are obviously women of color, um, mm -hmm. very diverse. These are women that little girls are going to look up to and sit there and say, oh, I, they look like me and I can relate to them because they look like me. So how important was it to find the, the right illustrator? Because illustrations look amazing. So how important was it to find the right illustrator for this project? And how'd you do that? It was extremely important. And luckily, I already had an illustrator. So one of the things that I wanted when I started Divine Legacy Publishing was to have it be as least a headache as possible for authors. So when you're a self-publisher, you know, you have to find all of the things that you need. You need an illustrator. If you need a graphic designer to create your logo or create your book cover, if you need an editor. So it was my goal to have those resources. My authors don't have to use the resources if they have like, you know, a close friend or someone they know that does, you know, graphic design and so on and so forth. Then of course they can use their own, but my goal was to already have them in place. And so I already had an amazing illustrator um, named Mynesia Steele. And she is 
I can't even put in. I mean, you see the illustrations. She's amazing. Mm-hmm. And, um, and, and it was very important that I had her and that she, um, she was very, very intent on making sure that the vision that I had came to pass. So we had many meetings and we plotted out what the pages would look like. There are pages in the book where I mentioned my, um, my grandmother, which is my daughter's great grandmother, my great, great grandmother, which is my daughter's great, great, great grandmother. <laughs> and for those pictures, you know, they were, you know, important women. One of my, um, great, one of my great grandmothers worked for, um, the government in DC and she was born in 1918. So you can imagine the time frame in which she was working for the government and veterans affairs. That was not wow. a time that you saw women, let alone women of color. No, not at all. So, and another great grandmother on my mother's side had the first barber's chair, um, first black woman to have a barber's chair in Baltimore city. So mm. these were pictures that were dated. And so we worked together to find the images that she could kind of go off of so that she could have a visual of what a barber shop would have looked like in the sixties when my great grandmother had her chair or what a, um, uh, what a classroom, one of my, uh, great aunts. Uh, she graduated college when she was 17 and she taught overseas for um, 40 some years, I believe. And so the picture that we did was a classroom from 1967. Mm. So she was very, very focused on making sure that it was authentic to what we were describing, what we were talking about. So how did you end up finding, um, your illustrator and how did you know that they were the right person to represent your company? Ooh, it was divine intervention. I had an illustrator and she had a family emergency that was going to make her unavailable for anything outside of dealing with that family emergency for quite some time. And it was the end of 2018. I had just moved back to North Carolina and I was rewarded with a wonderful, um, <laughs> a wonderful gift in the way of pneumonia. And I was laid out on my couch. Mm. Yeah. I was, I was like, Oh, that's a nice way to welcome me back. Okay. And, <laughs> um, and all of this was happening and I was laying on the couch and it was right around Christmas. And I was like, listen, I'm just going to deal with this after Christmas. I, I don't feel good. I can barely breathe. I need assistance getting up and down my stairs. Like I can't wow. deal with anything else right now. And I said, you know, after I feel better after the holidays, I'll just, you know, start looking for a new illustrator. And luckily we did not have any books in illustration at that time. I had two authors that were going to go into illustration after the first of the year, but I didn't have any, we were kind of in a holiday lull. And so I just, I said, forget it. And I was watching TV, lay on the couch and I picked up my phone. I started scrolling through and I'm in a bunch of Facebook groups. Some of them are for crafting. I'm a, I'm a big crafting person. I'm typically found either covered in paint or glitter. Or both. And and so I was in a craft group and I was just scrolling through. And, you know, your newsfeed on Facebook shows you your different groups. And it's crazy because I hadn't been in those craft groups in a while. And, you know, once you're not in them, they they won't show you stuff from those groups if you're not consistently in them. And this really, really beautiful picture showed up in my newsfeed. And it was in one of my craft groups. And I was like, oh, what is that? And I clicked on it and it was this young lady who had posted it. And I was like, wow, that's wow. 
And then I, I, something told me just to message her. And I sent her a message and I said, your artwork is gorgeous. And I had gone, she had put a link to her website and her Facebook page. And I had scrolled through Instagram feed. And I sent her a message and I was like, your, your work is beautiful. Have you ever thought about illustrating children's books? And she said, actually, yes, I have. I just haven't had the opportunity to do it yet. I said, opportunity is knocking. And mm. she's been the illustrator for my company ever since. Wow, that's amazing. So, and it was crazy because so, it was the same day, the same day that my other illustrator said she couldn't do it anymore. I found Maya. Yeah. What's the chances? So what 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 other um in-house because because you mentioned you did you do editing so do you also have other editors under your publishing company so what was the journey like finding them and making sure they were the right fit for your company it was a series of um trial and error honestly um one of my editors is a really good friend i consider her um uh, a sister and so she and i went to grad school together we have the same exact degree so there was really no vetting needed for her because we went to the same school. We have the same degrees. I know her abilities. Um, mm. And then I, um, I offer internships and um, quite a few of the internships have turned into um, long-term editing relationships. Really? So trial and error. And it hasn't always been roses. I've had to unfortunately part ways with some people, but all in all, I have a good group. And what was coming of reasons that you had to part ways? Not meeting deadlines. I'm very strict about deadlines. If I say I need it by a certain time uh, and you don't speak up and say something's happened or I can't make it or communication is really big with me because it's not just my deadline. This isn't my book. This is somebody else's book. And so if we're in an editing schedule and I need it by this date and I don't get it by this date, then that could potentially push an author back and people choose their publication dates for various reasons. And some of them are very personal and very special to them. I'm not mm-hmm. going to tell someone your book isn't going to come out on time because this person didn't meet their deadline. So if you can't meet your deadline and you continuously miss your deadline, then we have to part ways. Mm. One of the things I notice about, um, you and your brand uh, uh, as a writer, as an author, and also as a publisher was the website. And I think that's one of the most overlooked aspects of being an entrepreneur that a lot of writers just, I don't know what the disconnect is <laughs> when it comes to websites. Either they don't have one or mm-hmm. they have one that's just not up to what it should be in terms of looks like it was made on word perfect 1998 oh yeah absolutely very little very Mm -hmm. little information very little it's not interactive in terms of the links and 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 things like that so break down as a for for a writer out there listening um the importance of having a website and what should be on their website so in essence an author whether you're traditionally published or not But specifically, if you are a self-publisher, your website is everything. It's literally your office. It's your home base. It's where your readers will come to see who you are, what you're about. 
It's where people who interview you, like you just said, you went to my website. They want to see what you're about. They want to see what you're up to. Is it worth interviewing you? Is it worth carrying your book in their bookstore? Is it worth them spending the money on your book? And you have to make it worth it. It should reflect your brand. Who are you? What type of writer are you? What do you write? I always tell my authors, people don't want to give away things for free, but I wholeheartedly believe in having a blog where you have one or two stories at least up there so that somebody can read and say, dang, I got caught up in that little short story. Let me go find their book real quick. Mm -hmm. Um, So the blog is big for me. Um, Definitely a, a homepage that is inviting that when your new book comes out, boom, there it is. When, when you first come to the um, to the website and about me page, people want to know who you are. The days of authors being recluses or um, people who are not in the spotlight, people who are not, you can be almost invisible as long as your book is good. That's not a thing anymore. Social media killed that. They want to know who you are. They want to see who you are. They want to feel like they know you so that when they're reading their book, the the book, it's a connection. So you can't be reclusive during, during your time. (laughs) If it's something that you really want to do, you can't fade in out of the spotlight anymore. That's not a thing. Um, And uh, definitely have a page where you show your events. What are you going to, you know, what are you, Um, What are you involved in? When I lived, when I first put my book out, my first book, it was hard for me to get to places. I lived all the way almost at the bottom of um, Florida. I was actually closer to Cuba than I was to the Georgia state line. Oh, wow. (laughs) Yeah. Like all the way down at the bottom. And so, and I was in an area that was not um, very diversified at all. Um, And it was, it was very hard to get to things. So one of the things that I noticed was because I didn't have a lot of events to put on my website, people were like, oh, do you ever, you know, come out and do stuff? Can you make it here? So I was never so happy as when my husband got a job and we moved back to North Carolina because I was like, please. And now I'm at something all the time. So they want to see you out and about. They want to see you participating in stuff. And I guess the connection there is, oh, if she's getting you know, invited to this or she's doing that interview or she's going and she's participating in this, she must be a good writer because they want her there. They're letting her come. So, you know, you show that you're you're in demand in a way. Mm. Um, and definitely a contact page. You know, it's very easy to have that little page where they type in their email address and the reason for their, you know, contacting you and then their little message and then they just hit send. You know, some people are in book clubs and they want to order a bulk of 30 books. Well, if you don't have any contact information on your website, how are they, how are you going to sell that 30 <laughs> bulk of books? Right. You know? Exactly. Um, and uh, let's see. Oh, and I always believe in having a separate books page. You know, for authors who have one book, you know, they they could probably get away with having the book on the home page when you first come in. But once you're more than one book and really just one book, but like I said, you can probably get away with it. Once you have more than one book, you need to have a separate books page. It needs to have your cover, 
your synopsis, how to buy, all of that information. I think that about covers it. <laughs> <laughs> so oh, and your we, social media uh, link. Always oh, yes, put your social media link on your website. Absolutely, absolutely, and you got to be got to be on social media. I know a lot of people. Mm-hmm. <laughs> it's hard. I I know because of this era, and and it's very difficult to keep up with social media. But it just seems like it's not going away anytime soon. No, it's away. not. I just realized somebody posted on Facebook uh, today. Actually, I was scrolling through, and somebody said, "When did you join Facebook?" And I realized that effective next month i will have been on facebook for 15 years i joined oh, in 2005 yeah. back when you had to have a college. Um, college email to <laughs> yep. join i'm joined in march of 2005 <laughs> and look how it's evolved since then. right right and i don't think it's going anywhere right exactly so um the genres uh the genres you write in I know we touched on some of them. What are what are what is the, what's a genre you want to write in that you haven't yet that you want to explore? I want to write a paranormal romance. I just don't know how to parlay that. I used to be a huge um, horror book fan, and then I read <laughs> this is embarrassing. Uh, then I read Christine by Stephen King. And I wouldn't mm-hmm. get in my mother's car um, <laughs> because I was convinced that it was out to get us. So uh, that effectively ended my um, love affair with horror books because my mother would not allow me to read them anymore because I didn't go to school for a couple of days because I would not get in the car. Oh, <laughs> that shows the impact of right. <laughs> right. It was an amazing book that it did that. You know, I was about 13 at the time. And she was like, that's it. You're done. If you pick up another scary book, that's I don't know what I'm going to do to you, but you're not going to like it because I'm not doing this with you. <laughs> so, yeah, that was. <laughs> it's crazy. <laughs> so br- break down, break down your writing. Um, your writing setup. Uh, I, I keep asking. I keep asking authors this and it's so many different. So many different answers, so many different setups. It's so crazy that like some of the things some people need just to get into the mood of writing. Do you have anything that you need to do? Music, complete silence from people. Much better. I do much better when it's quiet. Um, I have one of my best friends is an author, and she watches TV, and she can bust out a book. Like she'll pull on a marathon, and that book is done. And I'm like, I don't even understand how you, I don't, you're, you're a mystery to me. She's amazing with that. Um, yeah, she, I'm telling you, she can put on, and it's like one of the old school shows, like she'll watch uh, a different world from start to finish and watch all the seasons. And by the time she's done with the seasons, she's got a book in her hand and I'm like, bruh, how? Right. Exactly. (laughs) And she has three little boys. So it's not like she's just doing nothing. Um, yeah, so it's, it's, it's amazing. <laughs> for me, I'm the opposite of her. I have to have quiet, which is not always attainable when you have a six year old running around who you homeschool. Yeah. So it's not like I can be like, oh, well, she's at school right now. Right. So, get a break. 
Right. And so what I do typically is um, in the evenings, um, late afternoon to evening, we were done with homeschooling. She kind of gets the free play. And what I do is I, um, I have on my Apple Music, I have albums of white noise. And so mm. I just put my headphones on and I keep an eye on her. We're in the same room together so I can see her. But um, I have my earphones on and the white noise cancels out the noise that she's making. And I can get some writing done. And that's really the quiet is what I I consistently need. I can write anywhere. I've written. My husband does a lot of traveling for his job. And sometimes we'll go with him if he has to go somewhere on a weekend or like a Friday. And then we'll just make a weekend of it. Um, And so I've written in hotel rooms. I write upstairs in the bedroom. I write upstairs in loft. I write... I have a classroom downstairs in my house. It's my office slash the classroom. And so I'll write in there. I'll write on the couch. So the, the space that I'm in isn't doesn't have to be consistent. But the one consistent thing is that I need to concentrate. And so right. I, I, I need silence. So I put the white noise on. So so as a writer. You've had you have quite a journey, you know what I mean, from <laughs> publishing your first book into now, is and it's and it's truly amazing. Uh, when you became a number one bestseller on Amazon, when you released your book, what was that feeling like? Surreal, because that was not, and I know this is going to sound crazy, but that wasn't my goal. Mm. My goal for my first book was to break even. I just wanted to break even, you know, I know I had read enough to know that you become more popular, the more books you write, the more range you have. You can say, you know, somebody might pick up book five and want to know what got you to book five, because my characters all each each book has a different set of main characters, but the same characters will pop up in different books. They're all kind of connected. And so, you know, somebody might pick up book five and be like, oh wait, did they already have their story? And then realized that was book one. So Uh it was my goal to, um, I have the outlines for almost 50 books. So it was always my goal to have- outline 50 books already? Yeah. Damn. (laughs) (laughs) Yeah, so it was always my goal to have multiple books and to gain a following because I have so many books and people- want to know what happened to this one, to that one, and so on and so forth. So when I got the call, because I wasn't even watching my Amazon charts, I released my first book on my 35th birthday. So I just, you know, posted all over social media that it was alive. And then I closed the computer and I went and I was, um, we were still living in Florida at the time and I didn't like the area we lived in. So my husband went and got Olive Garden and came home and we were sitting in the living room eating Olive Garden and watching Netflix. Yo, and I snap. got a call. Huh? That's crazy. <laughs> yeah. And I got the call about it and I was like, whoa, what? And I, I opened my computer up and I looked and sure enough, there it was. So it was it was a shock and it was surreal to me because that was not my goal for book one. My book, my goal for book one was to break even. Mm. And yeah. then you went and then you went on to obviously inspire so many authors that they wanted your help. And like you mentioned, you didn't set out on a publishing journey. It just 
happened. It just came to you based on uh, the need that people had for um, your services, obviously, and your expertise. So as a publisher, um, what is your like vision for your company in terms of authors? Do you are you open for any submission or do you do a lot of vetting when authors submit to be a part of uh, your publishing company? Well, I do vet. I do vet. But the way that I vet is if I see if you submit your book and I see that it needs work. I will discuss with you the writing coaching that we offer. And I will say, are you willing to kind of go back and not redo the whole book, but this needs some more meat here. This needs some development. We can help you. But are you willing? If they're willing, I will not refuse them. I will offer the writing coaching. We'll get started on writing coaching and we'll get the book to where it is still their unique book, but it is developed correctly and it has a a good, strong plot line and all of that. If they say no, then I part ways. Mm. Have you had that before? Yes. <laughs> what do you think? What do you think the no comes from? Because obviously, like what you're offering, it will not only make them a better uh, writer, but will also prepare them. You know what I mean? In the long run, for their for their publishing journey. So, what do you think the disconnect is when when they don't want to proceed? People are uh, sensitive about their work. I mean, I am to a certain extent. So, you know, I don't, I'm, of course I'm not rude and say, Oh no, this is no, but I do say, you know, this is a good start, but we, we need to develop this more. And I give them examples. You know, I don't just say it and, and then say, trust me. I give them examples of what could be developed here. You know, what could be developed there and people will get in their feelings instead of saying, okay, I want my story to be the best it can be. Let me seek some help. They get in their feelings. They get, you know, agitated. They get snarky. They get snappy. And Mm. I've actually, I had one lady cuss me out and I said, oh no, boo, that ain't what you want to (laughs) do. That ain't what you want to do here. Cause yeah, I got some book learning, but this is still Amanda from Baltimore and that you don't want to smoke. That ain't what you want around here. So we're going to part ways right now. Because oh, even man. if you agree to work with me after this, I'm not working with you. So, right, right. <laughs> um, so you know, but that was one extreme case. I haven't had an extreme case like that except for that one individual. And again, once I once she heard my voice change from Amanda, the writing coach, the super happy, want you to be on your writing journey, to be more Mandy. She oh, didn't. Man. She was done. <laughs> she was done after that anyway. She didn't want any parts of me. That's so, crazy. um, you know, <laughs> and it's a rarity. I keep her on the shelf. She doesn't come out a lot. <laughs> but um but yeah, so but most of the time, I will say the majority of people will say, Okay, you know, can th- let me let me get some help with this then. You know, do you have, you know, room in your coaching schedule for this? And, you know. What does it entail? What will we work on? And I I usually don't have an issue because I'm not saying it because I'm I'm trying to, you know, stop them from their journey. I'm just trying to make sure they have everything they need. Mm. 
And I think that's another unique thing about um, the services you provide because so many companies will just take any type of work, polish it up um, to the point where it's good enough to, to put out. But the the writer, you know what I mean? They, they I seem mm-hmm. I, I feel like they they get dependent on that. You know what I mean? With you, on the other hand, it seems like you're actually helping them build and hone their skills to the point where they're like perfecting their craft along the way with you. You know what I mean? So why is that important right. to do it that way rather than the 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 way everybody else does and just does the work for them? Right. So my whole thing is. I've noticed that a lot of publishing companies, not so much the bigger ones, but the smaller, medium sized to smaller and boutique ones, they they seem very focused on quantity versus Mm. quality. And I'm the opposite. I'm very much quality over quantity. I don't I I won't say I don't care how many authors I have, but I don't care to have 100, 200, 300 authors with mediocre. I'd rather have 50 with superior. Mm. That's great. And Divine Legacy, where where did that where'd you get that name from? So, um I mentioned that I come from um a long line of women that worked hard, they were educated, um and we don't um we don't have a whole bunch of men in our family, except for the ones that we marry. The last man that was born into my family was born in 1955. My uncle. Really? Uh, yeah, we don't. And before him, I believe my great uncle was born in 1946. Wow. We don't we don't have boys. We marry. Them, but we don't produce right. them for some reason. <laughs> and I stayed right in that. You know, I stayed right in that that train because I have a daughter. I don't have any right. any boys. I have one daughter. So we'll see if maybe she gives us a boy <laughs> later on down the line. But um, the women in our family were, are very strong minded um, individuals. They took care of themselves. They took care of their families often um, all the way back to my great, great grandmother, um, Annie Hawkins. Um, yes. Annie, and she. Uh, she owned a restaurant back in. the 20s and it flourished through the 30s and 40s even during the depression and so my the women in my family have always told me that I um I was a divine legacy I came from a divine Mm -hmm. legacy of women and they've told me that since I was probably as young as my daughter is when they first started telling me that most of the women who helped raise me my grandmother she died when I was 30 one of my great grandmothers died when I was 15. The other died when I was 21. Um, and I was blessed to have them as long as I did. But they had all passed on by the time I started my publishing company. The only one left was my mom. And um, and so I named it Divine Legacy Publishing kind of, you know, as a tribute to them. Mm. It's crazy. So your, your, your book, Rocking Cheyenne. That that story. First of all, you just when you when you when you when you started it out, man, you just hit us with the. I'm like, whoa, what's going on? Like, <laughs> I'm like, damn, what like what's going? Like, it was so so much to this story. Um, 
So can you, can you just first tell us, tell the readers, uh, me, I'm going to say the readers, the listeners about this story and what was the inspiration behind it? So this story is kind of a continuance. So my books are standalones. You can read them by themselves, but um, they also, like I said, feature the same characters. So um, this particular book was a, a kind of the next book in line from the first one. And um, so it focuses on the best friend of the female lead in my first book and the brother of the male lead in my first book. And they don't like each other in the beginning. They He's a private eye and he's been brought in to um, investigate the disappearance of uh, Cheyenne's best friend. And she's pissed off because she thought that her friend had actually committed suicide and she had kind of got her mind right, even though she didn't want it to be that way. She had kind of gotten her mind set on that and had, had used that to move on. Mm. And here he comes opening up old wounds and insisting that her, her, what she thinks is a dead friend is a missing friend and that he can find her. And so she's very resistant to him because he's opening up these wounds that she had tried to close and tried to move on from. And he doesn't like her because she, he feels like women should be kind of seen, not heard ish, or at least not, uh, raunchy and ribald. <laughs> and she is, she is all of that, you know? And so they clash very badly in the beginning, but then they kind of realize that that clash is actually an attraction and they're mm-hmm. fighting the attraction. <laughs> And so, and they're forced to work closely because she's the connection to her best friend and he's the PI. And so they're forced into close confines and they're forced into interacting and soon they can't keep their hands off of each other. And that's kind of how the story goes. <laughs> so how many, how many, obviously there's standalones, but how many total stories uh, will be told with these characters with Cole, Ember, Cheyenne? Um, they will be very prominent for the first 10 books and then wow. they will float in and out for the next 40. <laughs> oh, so every outline you have is connected with these characters. Somehow, some way, and some some will get inter, um, introduced. For example, um, in the first book, Cole's best friend owns that um, uh, cruise line, Soul Escape, mm-hmm. and his name is Warren. Warren reappears in book six, and he mm. gets his own story. Mm. That's and deep. so because Warren is best friends with Cole, Cole will Cole be prominently in that book. Right. That, that's weird. I, I like it. I, obviously, I like these type of I like the connected stories. Um, so why did you why did you choose to write in that way? Um, that specific style. Because I always wondered. So you know, I grew up when I when I got uh, banned from reading the horror mo- uh, horror books and stuff. Um, I moved on to romances, and I used to steal my mom's romances. And it was it was wonderful. They were happy books. There was always a happy ending. But then I'm kind of like, okay, did they stay together? Did they have some kids? Start a business? <laughs> like what happened? 
<laughs> and you never knew. And so my goal was to kind of do that. And there are some authors that do that. Some of my favorite authors, um, Brenda Jackson, she does that. Her book, she has different sets of books. Um, the Steele family and all of them, the Medeiros family, they all um, have connections and you'll see them pop back up. And she's been writing, uh, Brenda Jackson's been writing for so long that now some of the children of her original um, characters from when she first started in the mid nineties have now matured and they are having their own story. Mm. So when they're the kids of the original characters are, you know, having their own love stories, you get to revisit and you get to see their parents and know right. that their parents were still, you know, they're still kicking and they're still together. So I, I liked her style of writing and I've been reading her pretty much since she started, because like I said, I was about 13 when my mom banned me off of horror books and I picked up romance. <laughs> and so that would have been the mid nineties. So, and that's about when she started. Um, Beverly Jenkins does it as well. She writes a lot of historical black romances, which is a, a, not a, not a well-known um, genre. It's developing and she is a master at it, but mm -hmm. it, it um, it's still developing. And, you will revisit and see some of the other characters from these all black towns that she writes about. And so I really liked that. And I liked that that was a thing. So I always knew I didn't want them to be family based like Brenda Jackson's. I wanted them to be extended family because some of the people that I consider to be my family, they're not blood, you know? So I wanted it to be more of a, a greater, this is my circle. And this circle develops as opposed to family. Right, right, absolutely. So when you when you when you discuss and when you when you break down um this these stories, do you are they presented? How are they presented? Obviously they're standalones, because obviously you do speaking engagements as well, right? And events. Yes. So how how is the how is the story received when people when people hear? how you outline them in, in the, in the way you're taking these stories. They're intrigued. They, I, the biggest question I always get is how do you keep up with everybody? <laughs> you know, how do you, <laughs> how do you remember, you know, what you said about Cole in book one on page, you know, five that you can bring it back in book seven Mm. on page 29 or something like that. And it's, right. it's, I take extensive notes when you're an English major and you have to break down a poem or you have to find the motifs in a book, you take notes mm. and they have to be detailed notes and you have to be able to refer back to everything. And so that part of my training, my educational training comes into play because I literally, when I create a character, I have a database that I use and that characters, everything is broken down. Where are they from? What do they look like? What are their personality traits? Who are their parents? Who are the rest of their people? Who are their best friends? Where do they work? Where do they want to work? Where did they go to school? What did they major in? Is that what they do for a living? What are their nervous tics? What are their favorite colors? Like I create this individual. So that way, when I have to reference back to a character that I created in book one for book seven, I can go right back and I can find who they were. Mm. So how, do, how, do, what is your outlining process? 
because that's that's to have all these books outlined already. That that's pretty amazing. So what is what is your process for all these uh, aspiring writers out here of outlining a book? I write a summary, and once I write the summary of what I want the book to be about, then I break down the major parts into chapters, and I just literally break down how this book is going to flow. Mm. And it doesn't always flow that way. For example, the first book, um, Ember and Cole, they were Nicole and Mark. And they did not go on a cruise trip. They ended up in a cabin. Um, they were supposed to end up in a cabin in the middle of the winter. Mm. And I just didn't, once I got to the part where they were, they were finding out that they were going to end up somewhere, I just didn't like it. I was like, I don't, I don't like this cabin thing. I don't like this cabin thing. I don't like this. This is there's a different way. And so I changed the the setting that they ended up in, but the concept of the book stayed the same. Nice. So uh, how do you how do you know when it's the right what what was that feeling um that that made you realize, all right, this is not this is not working for me. I got to switch it up. It just didn't sit right with me. Like I had written out a good portion of them getting there and getting settled. And I was like, I don't like this. I just <laughs> don't. I was, it was bothering me. It was like, it was making me mad. I was like, I don't like this. And I kept telling myself, if I don't like this, my readers are not going to like this because mm. I don't like it. You know, I, I'm not going to put, I'm, I always put my best effort into writing, but I didn't feel like I was going to create what I should have created if I didn't like it. So I just walked away from it for a couple of days. And, you know, you walk away from something and you say you're not going to think about it. But of course you do. And so I just walked away from the writing part of it because I knew I wasn't going to keep that concept. So continuing to write about it was just a fruitless endeavor because I wasn't going to keep it. And so I walked away from it. I kept thinking about it. And then finally, that's how they ended up on the cruise. And the irony is that I created that cruise line. I wanted a black owned cruise line. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I, I, I've been on cruises and I've had friends that have gone on cruises and they're always like, you know, I can't get my hair done in the salon and all of this is just kind of, it's not for us. So I wanted to create a cruise line that was black owned and that was black catered, catered mm. to the, to, you know, to black people. And right. so I created this cruise line and people liked it so much that they were like, well, are all the books going to be based on that? And I was like, well, no, they just went on this one cruise. <laughs> right. <laughs> they didn't want every book to be on a cruise. <laughs> right. And they were like, but the concept, like a black owned cruise line with like, you know, gourmet soul food and you can get your brains yeah, oh done. And, you know, they were really taken with that. So I was I, I sat down, I tried to figure out a way to incorporate in the books and I just couldn't. So I created a different series. And I just released the first, I created a novella series. Um, and it's the Soul Escapes Cruise Line series. And I just released the first novella on Valentine's Day. Oh, really? And so it's kind of like the love boat meets black cruise line meets modern day. And that's a testament. I would say that's a testament to not only your writing, but your 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 creativity. Um, when you can take people to a place where they want to stay and it's in between pages. You know what I mean? Yeah. And I mean, they were like, you had a black, uh, because the, in, in Ember's flame, the first book, they had a movie marathon and it was black exploitation. Mm. movies. And then 
um, in the novella that I just released, it was a Valentine's Day theme. And so they had all the, the black romances, love and basketball, Absolutely. And all of that. And so, you know, the it, it it's literally us. It's black folks. <laughs> <laughs> so you you have a your slogan, um, obviously, for your your writing under serendipity is real love stories have sex. Break that yeah. down. Break that slogan down. So <laughs> I just um of of the couples that I know, you know, you when you read these older romances and some of the current romances too, it's like, oh, they walk down the hallway and shut the door. And then it's like, okay, but what they do when the door shut? <laughs> what happened? Like right. don't don't stop here. And it's kind of like this taboo. Oh, it's insinuated they had sex. I don't care about your insinuation. What happened? <laughs> and they, they act like sex is not a realistic thing when you're dating. And it is. You know, I know, I can tell you, I know 20 couples offhand, and I can only think of one that I know that didn't have sex before marriage. Mm. And I mean, you know, and I always tell the story of my husband. <laughs> Um, I was in a long-term relationship in college. And when I broke up, <laughs> when I broke up that relationship, I was like, okay, my friends out here, they going to the club, they doing all this. I was somebody's, you know, girlfriend slash wifey. And now I'm free. I'm about to go wild out, you know? So it's, you know, it's 05 and folks going to the club and I'm like, I'm gonna have me a one night stand. I ain't never had one of those before. Y'all always talking about it. Always I'm going to go have me one. <laughs> Y'all always talking about these one night stands and stuff. They got to be fun. Let me go have one. Yeah, we've been married for 12 years. <laughs> Apparently, I don't one night stand very well. Right. <laughs> got strong commitment. We, we one night stand. <laughs> I, just, I was like, I don't think we did this right. I don't think right. this is how this was supposed yeah, to we go. Fell, we fell in love. I don't think that was what Yeah, we've been together. It'll be in, in December, December 17th of, o, of, of 05 was the one night stand. So December 17th of this year, we will have been together for 15 years. Wow. Yep. That's crazy. Good old one night stand. There you go. There you go. <laughs> So why why so why is it important for you um as a writer to like break that barrier? I would say is a barrier. I guess it's society's barrier of not wanting to, to talk about sex. Why is it important for you as a writer because to knock that wall down? It's a realistic reality. Sex has existed as long as people have existed. That's why people exist. We populate. Mm. Why are we hiding? That we're having sex. <laughs> so weird. When you it's think it's about so it. bizarre to me. You know, nobody's saying, you know, get on the bus and start talking to strangers about what you did last night. But romance and, and falling in love and all of that, I've seen it. I've watched people. You know, my best friends are married. You know, I've watched their love stories and everybody slept with each other. Like, it's just a part of it. and. You know, I've said before that I, I get why they label my stories erotica, but I don't necessarily particularly care for the label because I don't feel like I write this genre that is taboo. I think that I write real life and realistic. Right. 
And that's why my slogan is real love stories have sex because they do. And it's crazy because although it does have sex, that's not the basis of the story. These stories have their good stories in the, in the book. So, um, why do you, why do you think it's just all lumped in once you have sex in the story is all lumped in under erotica? Because society doesn't know what to do with sex, unfortunately. <laughs> that's, that's the only thing I can think of. They don't know what to do with sex, so they stick it all in there. And it's frustrating to me because I'm lumped in with, you know, BDSM and all of mm-hmm. that. And I'm, I don't have any problem with that. Do what you do that makes you happy. But I don't feel like I'm part of that genre. I feel like I'm part of romance. Right. And I get I get lumped in. I mean, there is a subgenre of erotic romance, but it's very small and not too many people pay attention to it. Exactly. So what is what is what is next for the series um for the Amanda Chambers uh books? For the children. So for the- Amanda Chambers, um, the next one will be a book that focuses on um men, black men the jobs that they do. I didn't feel like I, I I didn't feel like it was right to leave men out. And so um, my husband is a, a journalist by trade, but he is also a freelance uh, photographer. Oh, wow. And one day my mom, uh, my mom, my daughter asked me and she was like, mommy, do all daddies take pictures? And so that conversation is going to turn into the next set of books mm. because not only do we often overlook our black men, which I don't think is right, but also society loves to label black men. They love mm-hmm. to label black folks in, 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 in uh, general, general yeah. but they love to label black men, you know, thugs, uneducated, all of this. And that's just not the case at all. And so um, I want to write that book. For a similar reason, you know, I wanted to write the the book that's out now because I wanted the black girl magic and I wanted to show that black women can do anything. Girls can do anything, but specifically black girls can do anything that they want. There are no limits on you. Don't put limits and don't let anybody put limits on you. Um, But in the same token, don't believe the hype about black men because the black men I know are amazing. Mm. So what is next for you as a writer and a publisher? I just want to keep putting books out. I know that sounds so simple, <laughs> but that's that's really what I want to do. You know, if if one day I become this like, you know, famous writer and, you know, after I'm long gone, you know, they they talk about me for Black History Month. That would be amazing. Mm. But I really just want to share my stories. There's stories like I like I said, I have those those over 50 outlines and still stuff floats in my head and I jot down the ideas. So if we added the ideas plus the outlines, I've probably got over 100 books. Wow. So I really that's that's what I want to do. And as a publisher, I just really want to help folks get their stories out. You know, there's a gap in. um representation, if you will. When I was doing my research to self-publish my book, um, I found self-publishing statistics for Amazon and they were, they said, it said 36% of the top 100 books 
were from self-publishers or, or small press, which is um, almost anonymous. And it was a huge gap of that 36%, less than 2% were of color. Wow. And that's of color, not black. That's yeah, all. All of us. <laughs> all of us. And I was like, that's crazy considering most of the folks that I meet, they're like, yeah, man, I'm writing this book or somebody, you know, I know my cousin is writing a book or my sister wrote a book. We have the stories. We don't have the resources. Mm. And so my goal with Divine Legacy is to be a resource. And my goal with my actual author brand and me writing is just to write. I love it. I love writing the stories. They drive me crazy. Make no mistake. When I was working on this novella <laughs> that just came out on Valentine's Day, I had some moments where I said some choice words and I was like, listen, I'll put this out next Valentine's Day. I don't feel like it no more. I don't want it. I need a break. I'm tired. I'm up all night, you know, because when I got down to my deadline, I was trying to make my deadline. And so I was homeschooling my daughter, um, you know, the first part of the day, meeting with clients, you know, in the afternoon and evening. And then once my husband and daughter went to sleep, I was up all night finishing the novella. The book. Yeah. So by the time it got down to the end, I was sleep deprived, hungry, angry. <laughs> Everything. I was probably a walking psychopath <laughs> at that point. And I was like, charge it to the game, bro. We're not going to finish this this year. It's a Valentine's Day theme. So it's not like I could put it out next month. Right. So we're just going to wait until next year. And then I was like, no, I'm not waiting next year. I'm going to be mad all year waiting on this right. book Hell for yeah. next year. So let me just finish it. But, you know, that's my goal, you know, with Divine Legacy to continue growing and being a resource. We have over 60 authors now. I can't, when I started the company three years ago, my goal was to have three authors by the end of that year. And you know you we're over 60 <laughs> now. That's crazy. I don't, I don't have words to describe how that feels, you know? So I just want to keep growing with that. And I just want to keep writing. That's, that's real. I'd be, be content. You know, I'm not one of them people that's like, I must be rich and famous. Put me in the spotlight. My ultimate goal when I got out of grad school was to be able to put all my bills on auto pay. Mm. <laughs> like that was, that was goals right there to be able to do that and not have to, worry about it. Like, I don't need to be rich. I just want my bills on auto pay. Like, that's literally my slogan. <laughs> <laughs> so now, now tell everybody where they can find you, where they can reach out to you, where they can get information about your, your books, your company, everything. So um, for the publishing company, you can find us online on our website at divinelegacypublishing.com on Facebook, and Instagram, we're Divine Legacy Publishing. And because Twitter is hateful and limits your characters, on Twitter, we are Divine Legacy Pub. Mm. Because it ran out of characters. <laughs> and, um, <laughs> and then on, um, on uh, for my writing, for my fiction, uh, Serendipity, it's authorserendipity.com. On Facebook and Instagram, author serendipity, and on Twitter for the same reason, 
with those hateful characters. It's off serendipity. <laughs> those characters give me the vapors. I get so yeah, angry. You're about to say messing up your vibe. <laughs> messing up my vibe. Messing up my, I wanted everything to match. And yeah, everything no. insane. <laughs> I'm a Virgo. I like everything to match. And here we are. Twitter. But um, and then for my um, nonfiction literary criticism and my children's books, author Amanda M. Chambers dot com and um, the Instagram and Facebook, Amanda Chambers. And um, on Twitter, it is. What is it? A Chambers, A Chambers. Hmm. All right, so all right, all right. That's where you can find me. Um, my husband and I also um, own a, a media company. So that's just 13chambersmedia.com. So that's where you can find me you on the interweb. You're there grinding. <laughs> trying. We're trying. My, my word for everybody picks a word, you know, in my circle for, um, for their year. And my 2020 word is dynasty. Mm. Trying to build one, trying to build one. My daughter, she's caught the bug. She um, came to me at the end of last year and said she wanted to start a, a children's jewelry company. So her jewelry company will be launching on her seventh birthday in July. Nice, nice. That's we need more of. <laughs> yep. I'm trying. We'll see. <laughs> All right. That's uh, Amanda Chambers, a.k.a. author Serendipity. Thank you so much dropping all these gems in this interview we appreciate it no problem thank you for having me thank you for joining us on the fiction addiction podcast make sure you visit fictionaddictionpodcast.com for links on everything we talked about today as well as awesome resources additional tips and fiction addiction merchandise